ESPN Sports Radio 1392.5. Now for something completely different. We're going to bring, bring it all together. Because this is the bottom line. Bottom line. Bottom line. ESPN Radio 1392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Hey, good morning. Thanks for listening to us on this beautiful Overcast Sunday, 859-381-1313, the number to call for you to get in on the conversation. You can email the show anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at bottomlinelex. On today's show, we want to thank everyone for their uh, uh, congratulations for our one-year anniversary show yesterday. We appreciate that very much, but today... It's a cavalcade of stars coming through the bottom line. At about 9.30, our own in-house ESPN Radio Reds expert, Alan Stein, who told me yesterday that he was going to the game up at Great American Ballpark today, and he was taking a broom with him. Either he thinks the Reds are going to sweep the Cardinals, or he's got a new job as a custodian. One or the other, we'll try to find him a job closer to home. I'm not sure. But Alan Stein will join us to talk Reds on his way up I-75 this morning. And it's an NFL Sunday here on the bottom line, as always. And the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship, Farrell Elliott, would join us. In case you missed it, the NFL preseason begins in 11 days. And if you want your shot at being crowned Kentucky Fantasy Football State Champion and cash in big, make sure to check out their website, kffsc.com. That's kffsc.com. And listen to Farrell Elliott coming up later on the show today. There was a big injury in the fantasy football world this week that we'll have to react to. He'll join us later to discuss. And our College of Football Handicapping Knowledge continues with the worst coach in the NFL to invest in out in the desert. Spoiler alert, once a coach becomes really bad against the spread, he gets fired before we can cash in on a big time. But we have one coach with enough of a sample size that we're looking to play against here in 2021. That's part of the most profitable segment of Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. All that and much, much more coming up on this week's Sunday edition of The Bottom Line. As always, we thank you so much for listening. But first, the white flag trade. The Reds are sitting 51-47 and 47 this morning. And the trade deadline, six days away. And as we sit here to discuss this today, the desert says the Reds have an 8% chance of winning the National League Central, along with a 16% chance of just making the playoffs. Doesn't seem like much of a chance, but as they said in Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. But should the Reds be buyers or sellers at this trade deadline? Oh, of course. We're fans. We want to see the Reds make a push for the playoffs. The Reds should be buyers, of course. Well... They're only six and a half games out of the division lead against the Brewers. They're only five and a half games out of the wild card spot behind the Padres. That's not much. We've seen bigger comebacks in a shorter period of time than this. For the first time in a while, the Reds are closer to the wild card than they are the division lead. So they've got a chance to do some damage this year, right? So if I own the Reds, of course, I'm going to roll the dice, make some moves, see what happens. Well, that might not be the smartest thing that this team could do. And there's some precedent. Every year around the Major League Baseball trade deadline, there are lists 
of the best and worst trades ever made at the trade deadline every July 31st. And you see the usual list of uh, characters. Future Hall of Famer Jeff Bagwell for junk ball rental guy Larry Anderson. Future Hall of Famer John Smoltz for junk ball rental guy Doyle Alexander. Heck, the Reds a few years ago traded some guy named Edwin Encarnacion for Scott Rowland. One of the most underrated worst deals in Reds franchise history. It's up there. Because Encarnacion went on to hit 350 home runs after leaving the Reds. He just retired this past offseason. While Scott Rowland only hit 36 home runs after that trade and was out of Major League Baseball three years later. So the Reds only lost 314 home runs in that trade. No big deal. But there's one trade that never makes it at the top of any of these lists that deserves mention today. On July 31st, 1997, the Chicago White Sox were in third place in the American League Central, and they were only three and a half games behind the first place Cleveland Indians. That team was in the hunt. Fans were hoping maybe we could go and catch Cleveland, or the Guardians as they're called now, not the Indians, the Guardians. But back then, you know, nobody cared about you know, politically correct as much back then. But we can go back and we can take this team down. We're only three and a half out. So what happens on July 31st? The White Sox traded starting pitchers Wilson Alvarez, Danny Darwin, and Roberto Hernandez to the San Francisco Giants for six minor league prospects. It became known as the White Flag Trade. Of the guys that the White Sox traded that day, Alvarez and Darwin, they were the White Sox' two best starting pitchers that season. And Hernandez had 27 saves at the point of that trade. All three of those pitchers the White Sox traded were all-stars at some point in their career, including one, Danny Darwin, who won an ERA title. So it's not like these guys were unproven. These were really good pitchers at the top of their games. But fearful of losing all these players as free agent in the offseason, the White Sox decided to cash them in for hot minor league prospects. And the outcry, as you can imagine, was immediate. The veteran Danny Darwin, who was in that trade, he played for seven different teams in his major league career. He was quoted as saying, I've never seen in my 22 years at baseball an owner Give up on his own ball club. Giving up. That's a phrase that when you say it in sports, it's, it's, you can't be around someone. When somebody is given the chance that he has given up, when he's given that moniker, like Scottie Pippen in the playoffs that one time when he refused to play against the Knicks for the last shot of the game. You live with that for the rest of your career, the rest of your life. That Scottie Pippen thing was almost 30 years ago. People still remember it today. I still remember it today. It's the worst message a front office can deliver to its team and to its fans that you're giving up. Ah, but wait a minute. This goes against everything we're taught from childhood. Never give up. Keep fighting until the last possible moment. All those corny cliches that remind us it's never over till it's over, Yogi Berra. But what made the White Sox surrender that season? Their owner, Jerry Reinsdorf. Wait a minute. Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf. Why does that name sound familiar? Oh, yeah. 
He also owns another major sports team in Chicago, the Chicago Bulls, a team that had just won its fifth NBA championship of the decade and would go on to win another one 11 months later. So what does owning another franchise, quite possibly at the time, the biggest franchise in professional sports at that kind of money, what does owning a team with Michael Jordan winning allow you to do? It allows you to roll the dice. It allows you to take some chances you normally would not take. You're playing with house money. Why not take some risks? So Reinsdorf signed off on these surrender-type trades that only France would make by saying on the day of these trades, and this is the owner of your team, saying, anyone who thinks this White Sox team will catch Cleveland is crazy. Wow. That's the owner of a team three and a half games out saying his team has no chance. What would the Reds fans do if the Reds were three and a half games out today and traded their closer at best two starting pitchers? Well, in a normal year, trading their closer for a bucket of baseballs would be a bad idea. But this year, it might be a good idea. It might be an improvement, trading a closer for a bucket of baseballs on this team. But Reinsdorf went on. He says, hey, we're stuck in the middle. We've won a couple of games lately, but we're still only 500, and we've been outscored by 11 runs this season. Yes, we're only three and a half games behind Cleveland, but compare the rosters. We're just not good enough. We've got three good players, and who's to say these young guys can't do better? Besides, those old guys, they're all going to be free agents after the season. Chances are, if we don't trade them, we lose them for nothing. But what if it's not the smart thing to do? To trade them? What if it's the smart thing to do to ride it out and try to make the playoffs? Buy or sell. Go for it or give it up. The Reds are facing that dilemma this week with Nick Castellanos. Castellanos can walk away at the end of this season. And with the impressive numbers he's put up this season, including starting in the All-Star game, he probably gets more money than the current $16 million per season he gets right now. So if you're the Reds, what do you do? Do you keep Castellanos through the trade deadline? Try to make some other moves or maybe make an attempt to make the playoffs when the desert says you have a very slight chance? Or do you trade Castellanos knowing that he's walking after the season and get what you can right now? In the current world we live in, just hoping that Castellanos will re-sign with the Reds because he says he's enjoying playing in Cincinnati and enjoys living here in this area, well, that's like living in that world of unicorns and leprechauns we always talk about with those where's the beef commercials. Yeah, crazy time. The smart move is to give it up and trade Nick Castellanos this week. Fans don't like to hear it. Nobody likes to hear it. But it's the smart move. But the emotional move, of course is to keep him and go for it. Hey, we're this close. We haven't been this close in a long time. Let's go for it. Let's use these lower-level prospects and upgrade this bullpen for the the stretch run here and hope that the starting rotations of the Brewers and the Padres fall apart so that we can gain some ground. But did the white flag trade turn out totally bad for the White Sox? You can argue it actually turned out well for them. The San Francisco Giants that year went on to win their division, 
and they were two games better than the Dodgers that year. While the White Sox finished 80-81, and 81, six games behind the Cleveland Indians that season. The Giants got to the playoffs and were swept immediately by the Marlins, who went on to win the World Series that year. The Indians also made it to the World Series that year, and they lost to the Marlins. So nothing ventured, nothing gained in that trade. But of the guys the White Sox traded to the Giants, they were all gone by the next year. Basically all rentals to try to get the Giants over the top one time. And two of the guys that the White Sox got back in that trade, Bob Howery, Keith Folk, they became very effective closers for the White Sox. And in fact, Keith Folk actually finished in the top 10 of Cy Young voting twice in his career. And in 2004, Keith Folk was on the mound for the Red Sox. Not the White Sox, but the Red Sox. When they finally ended their drought of not winning the World Series for like a bajillion years. Keith Folk closed out that game of that series, the final game. He was on the mound. But when the White Sox finally won a World Series in 2005, nobody from that white flag trade was around to celebrate, although all the guys involved in it did have a very small part in it. But the reason this deal is so remarkable goes back to the owner's comments. Jerry Reinsdorf, who, by the way, he walked back on these the next day. The media ate him alive for saying that. It's okay to make trades like this. In fact, if you ask us, it's the best way to go. Reinsdorf was right. Nobody gives him credit now, and they certainly didn't at the time, but he was right. The only problem is you can't say it to the media and the fans because if you do, that's a bad look. That's a terrible look. It's like anything else in life. There are things we have to do that aren't pretty. And we all at some point have to do them. We just don't talk about it to anybody. Not only that, we can't talk about it. Because if we do, not only does it make it look make us look bad, it makes people think worse of us. Because the trade was portrayed as the White Sox giving up on the season, today, now teams often walk the line between managing short-term contention with long-term financial interest where it's much more accepted now to pull off the public relations disaster stunt, just like this one. So as the trade deadline looms this week, what should the Reds do? Especially if they finish off the Cardinals in a three-game sweep today, like Alan Stein expects, because he's taking a broom with him to Cincinnati today. The fans will be happy. The fans will be calling for the Reds to make moves to help this bullpen and do whatever it takes to make a playoff run. But if the Chicago White Sox and the white flag trade of 1997 taught us anything, it's not always in the best interest of the franchise to sell off its prospects for the short term when you could be a good team in the long run. It's great to be a fan and to get emotional, but the Reds are running a business first and foremost. It would raise a lot of eyebrows at Reds Nation, but they should trade Nick Castellanos before losing him this offseason for nothing. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Speaking of much maligned Reds bullpen, they almost blew another one on Saturday night. They They almost do it every night, apparently. The usual formula for the Reds wins lately. Decent starting pitching. 
Hope to survive six to seven innings with that guy. Somehow get the game to Heath Hembry at the end. Let him close it out. By the way, Heath Hembry, now seven saves in the month of July. In the last 30 days, who has the most saves in Major League Baseball? That's Heath Hembry. He is second with seven. There's only one closer that has more saves. Who is that? Huh, here's a name from the past. Rysel Iglesias. He leads the league in saves over the last 30 days. Wait, what did the Reds get when they traded Rysel Iglesias in the offseason? Oh, two guys you've never heard of. Huh. You think this team could use a guy like Iglesias right now? Iglesias has 21 saves right now for the season. I'm thinking Amir Garrett could do what uh, Iglesias could do. Uh, no, nah, not the right decision. <laughs> you think? Oh, well, we move forward to the third game and the final game of this Cardinals-Reds three-game series today, Great American Ballpark. A game you could be, you can listen to right here on ESPN Radio 1,392.5 at 12.40. Johan Aviedo for the Cardinals, 0-5, 4.81 ERA. Sonny Gray for the Reds, 2-5, 3.65. O has never won a game in his Major League Baseball career. 0-8 is his career record. Old schoolers like myself uh, aren't reminded of loser king Anthony Young of the 90s Mets just yet. But Aviedo off to a good start. We'll give him that. Career ERA plus is 79 for this guy in his career. And Aviedo has started twice against the Reds in his career. Neither one of them went well. He's only gone eight and two-thirds innings, 5.19 ERA. So not much to go on with the Cardinals starting pitcher today other than the fact that the Cardinals are 7-16 in his career when he starts for a return on investment of negative 34.9%. Terrible. And like we said yesterday, the Cardinals, this season is a road underdog, which they are today. They're 13-26. and 26. Only the Diamondbacks and Rockies are worse out in the desert than this Cardinals team as a road underdog. But today is a big start for the Reds' Sonny Gray. Gray came off the injured list for the third time this season last week and didn't look like uh, he was ready. He gave up five earned runs and four and two-thirds innings against the Brewers. Gray's been a good pitcher this season when he's been healthy. 3.65 ERA, ERA plus, 130. It's good. But like we said, he's been on the injured list three times. Gray started against the Cardinals on April 23rd of this year. Didn't go well then either. He allowed five earned runs and three and two-thirds. But during his time in Cincinnati, Gray has been a good investment as a home favorite, which he is today. 26 games, Gray has been a home favorite with the Reds. And the Reds are 17-9 and in those games. That's a positive 9.6 return on investment. Not bad. But like we wondered aloud this time last week, is Sonny Gray completely healthy? And if he is, the Reds should win this one. If not, then Gray can only go three or four innings and leave it up to that bullpen where the only consistent pitcher of late has pitched two nights in a row, and he probably won't go today, good luck. The Reds, a minus 170 favorite in this one today. Heck, they were minus 180 yesterday before they came home a winner, but that was a sweat if you saw that game. None of the Cardinals' bullpen, the back end of the bullpen, pitched yesterday. While, as we mentioned, Heath Hembree has gone too straight, so has Brad Brock. So it's very important for the Reds to get Sonny Gray as far as they can in this one because it looks like the guys who are going to be ending this game today are named Sean Doolittle and Amir Garrett. History tells us, especially this year, that's not a good bet. The value's on the Cardinals today, but not nearly as much as yesterday. Still, if you are the Reds, as a, if you're on the Reds today as a minus 170 favorite, 
with a starting pitcher who hasn't proven he's healthy and a bullpen where their two main guys of late aren't pitching today because they've been used the last two nights, we wish you luck because we aren't going to be with you. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1,392.5, the bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Coming up after the break, you know what's coming. The most profitable segment in Lexington Radio. Our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks presented by Jake Cigar Bar. That's next right here on ESPN Radio 1,392.5. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Thanks for joining us here on this Sunday morning. It's time. As we all love around here for the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks presented by Jake Cigar Bar. How do we celebrate casting a ticket out the desert? Of course, with a Mac Daddy Stogie from Jake Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing. Check them out online, jakescigarbar.com. And as they say at Jake's, smoke local, drink local, and cross the line with us. So tell our friends Jake and Autumn that the bottom line sent you, and you will get the VIP treatment, baby. I can promise you. JakeCigarBar.com. Big news in the NFL yesterday. What do we always say about following the money out in the desert? Uh, don't pay attention to these uh, talking heads you know, you see on television as much as you pay attention to the odds makers out in the desert. Why? If a talking head is wrong, there's no accountability. Uh, that's okay. What do you got for us now? You know, it's that kind of thing. But if the desert is wrong... They lose a lot of money. So when the sports books pulled the Packers' win total off the board yesterday, that sends a very loud message to the NFL and its fans. Of course, as we all know, the biggest storyline this offseason, whether or not Aaron Rodgers will return to Green Bay. Could he go to the Broncos? Could he go to the Raiders? Or demand a trade somewhere else? Or what if he holds out and just holds hosts Jeopardy all summer long or winter long? By the way, I wouldn't bet against LeVar Burton getting that Jeopardy host. There's your Mac, There's a Mac Daddy Stogie for you. LeVar Burton, your new Jeopardy host uh, coming the fall. Just, hey, just a hunch. Just say it. No, no data to back that one up, but we'll see. We'll see how he does this week. No one really knows about Aaron Rodgers, how this will play out, although ESPN covers it 24-7 apparently. But yesterday we saw the sports books brace for another possible outcome, retirement. Rumors going around Aaron Rodgers could walk away from the game and announce his retirement sometime early next week before training camp opens. And, of course, the sports books they all pulled down the Packers-related futures off the board, including win totals, playoff odds, divisional odds, you name it. Most shops took the Packers' win total down, but one, the Circa, kept their numbers up. But they did change them. They adjusted Green Bay's win total from 11 to now 8.5. They also updated their alternate lines to say, hey, if you want to go over the Packers 9.5, we'll put a little bit of juice on that. So if you think Rodgers is playing right now, you can really find some places out in the desert that's offering the Packers at a very bargain basement price for a huge value on their win totals if you think that Aaron Rodgers is going to play. Of course, the biggest benefactor of this in that division looks like it's going to be the Vikings because now... In these uh, at the Circa, where these lines are still up, the Vikings are now the favorite to take the NFC North with the Packers second. So now you have to kind of be a fortune teller, like we try to be on this show. If Rodgers does retire, Jordan Love, your next quarterback in line, what could he do for the Packers? You don't know. I don't know. Will they go down the tank? Eh, I don't think they will be that bad. But will they be a lot worse than with Aaron Rodgers? You're darned right they will. So there, buyer beware.
But Packers futures, there's some value right now if you know or have a feeling if Aaron Rodgers will retire or not. But let's get to Major League Baseball. The underdogs, we did pretty well yesterday, going 8-7. That's always a good day for us. A couple of games we like, a couple of dogs we like today. We're going to go Washington and Baltimore, our favorite uh, go-against guy right now, John Means. Why would you go against him? He threw a no-hitter this year. He was an all-star this year. He's got a 2.72 ERA. Yeah, all those are true. All those true statements. Last five starts, though, for Mr. Means. Six ERA, just coming off the injured list. Uh, and he's just coming off his worst start in his career. You think he's ready? You think he's ready to go against Washington today? Yeah, we'll take Washington to take down the Orioles today at Baltimore. The Orioles 15-30 and 30 this year, and you want me to play them as a favorite at home? Yeah, no thanks. Give us Washington as an underdog in that one. And we're going to go back to the Mets today. Rich Hill pitching for the Mets. This is his first start for them. He doesn't have any numbers for the season. Ross Stripling, who I thought at one point was going to be a very good pitcher for the Dodgers, now he's with the Blue Jays, and he's 3-6 and six with a 5.04 ERA. Just like yesterday, got the better team, got the uh, home field advantage. In my mind, we have the better pitcher, although it's his first start of the year. What does he have? We'll take the Mets today as an underdog, so those are your Mac Daddies. Uh, take the Nationals as an underdog as Baltimore. Why is Baltimore favored? And we'll take the better team, the Mets, against the Blue Jays up in New York. Those are your Mac Daddy Stogies baseball-wise for the day. But our College of Football knowledge goes to the NFL. It's an NFL Sunday. Who do we? What coach should you fade in the NFL? We always love to fade Dan Quinn and Adam Gase, but sadly those two guys were fired in the offseason. By the way, Adam Gase uh, coaching the Jets last year, I read where he's now the offensive coordinator for a high school team this year. Uh-huh. That's, you know, we always say how long you're out of a job when you get fired determines your value. He's now an offensive coordinator of a high school team. That should tell you what people in the NFL now think of Adam Gase. Oh, well. But the coach we're looking to fade this year, Matt Nagy of the Chicago Bears. 50 career games. If you've gone against him, you've hit 56.1% against the spread. And the thing is, it's hard to find coaches with big sample sizes we could go against because if they don't cover a lot of spreads, let's just face it, they're probably out of a job very soon. Just ask Dan Quinn and Adam Gase. So Matt Nagy has enough sample size in his resume that we can go against him. 56.1%, that's pretty good. What about the Bengals, you ask? Zach Taylor? If you've gone against him, you're 17-15 and 15 over his career against the spread. Not a huge sample size, but not a big profit either. But Matt Nagy, Chicago, and with that quarterback situation this year, would you want to go against him? Yeah, that's probably a good proposition. So that's the guy we look to fade in terms of coaches, but most of the bad ones get fired before we can cash in on them. Coming up after the break, let's talk baseball. Let's talk with Alan Stein, our Reds expert, on his way to Great America Ballpark. He's, he's next, coming up right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. And we couldn't have a more fitting song to lead us in. Speaking of life in the fast lane, we've got a man who's headed north today. He's looking for a new custodial job because he's got a... a broom in the car with him because he wants to sweep some stuff up at Great America Ballpark. He's our good friend and in-house Reds radio expert, Alan Stein. Alan, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Brad. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for your time. We uh, we talked about this early in the show. We talked. We referenced the, uh, the white flag trade that the White Sox did back in 1997, where they basically gave up on a season when they were only three and a half games behind. Now Nick Castellanos 
He might be walking after the season, can walk on his own. Should the Reds look to be trading him at this trade deadline, or they should just put all their eggs in one basket and hope he sticks around? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a really very good question. Uh, but I think the fans would revolt if they did that. Uh, you know, I, there's a good chance that the Reds may figure out a way to keep him. He's going to get somewhere in the range of 80 to $100 million uh, over a four-year contract. In order for the Reds to do that, they're already committed for two years at $16 million. So they'd have to bump him up 6 or $8 million for two years and then add those last two years on. So if they gave him walk options after the first two years, um, you know, they, they could push the whole deal down the road give him and his extra 16 to 20 million over the course of the next two years and keep him in the fold. I think there's a way to do it. Um, and, and from all accounts, he's really happy in Cincinnati. He really likes being on this team. Uh, it, it suits his kind of particular demeanor and lifestyle. So, I, you know, there's a chance that they could make that work. I hope that they'll try to do that and not trade him. Um, if they trade him, then that's an indication that they are throwing up the white flag. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think they should be doing that right now. I understand that. But when you talk about Castellanos, would you rather get at least something for him? Because it's going to be so easy. He, like you say, he's going to make $100 million if he walks away and signs somewhere else. And we can talk about, oh, he likes Cincinnati. You know, he enjoys it here. It fits his personality. Yeah, you know what? A bigger, um, an extra six, eight, ten million dollars a year helps your personality too. Well, that's right. And I think the Reds can actually afford to make that happen. That, that's the key. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think they, I think they have the flexibility to make that happen. And um, you know, it, it, it would, it would take some creative stuff for sure. Okay. Uh, but Scott Boris has done those kinds of deals in the past with the key being they like that opt-out provision. So you give him a four-year deal that opts out after two more years, and he can walk then if it's not working out for either side. I think there's a chance that they could figure out a way to do it. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor with our ESPN Radio in-house Reds expert, Alan Stein. The bullpen, Alan. I hate to bring it up time and time and time again. Do they miss Rysel Iglesias? I looked up, and he's got 21 saves right now. Do you think that they wished maybe they had not made that trade last offseason? I would think so. I, You know, I was surprised when they did it, uh, and somewhat, well, more than somewhat disappointed when they did it. And I can't help but think that if they had their choice right now, knowing <laughs> where they were and what the deficiencies were, they'd pay the $9 million to keep him around. But they didn't, and so you move on from those sorts of things. You know, we got to remember that Iglesias, as much as we all like him, we were very frustrated by him, too. Mm-hmm. Anytime that he, they put him in a situation that was not in a safe situation, he wasn't worth the damn. <laughs> yeah. and, and he blew a number of games. I think he had six or seven blown saves the Reds last year so I can understand what their thinking was but it sure would be nice to have somebody you could pretty much rely on at the back end of that bullpen 
the schedule coming up. We've seen a lot of division teams. They've got a lot of games under their belt now. This is game number 13 with the Cardinals today. They've already played 16 against the Brewers. Your opinion, this schedule easing up for the Reds in the future, is this enough to make the Reds maybe go out and make some deals this week? Well, I think so. Here, here's the way to look at it. Uh, one way to do an analysis of the schedule for the rest of the year is to say, all right, who are we playing for the rest of the year? And the Reds, take the Reds versus the Brewers, because that's who they've got to catch. They're probably not going to catch the Padres, I wouldn't think. So you got to win the division. The Brewers are pay, playing nine games more than the Reds for the rest of the season. And, they're, you know, they've both got approximately 65 games to go. The Reds, uh, the Brewers are playing nine games more than the Reds are against teams with losing records right now and that's for the rest of the season so that's a nine game kind of differential the reds have a boatload of games against the cubs and the pirates both of whom are not having great years i mean and that's a kind way to put it especially when you look at the cubs probably trading off Mm -hmm. most of their star players so the reds are going to have that nine game buffer advantage now, they have to take advantage of it, of course, but they do have that option and opportunity. And so I think they should be looking at how can they win this division and not throwing up the west of the white flag. ESPN Radio 1392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor with Alan Stein. Talking Reds. Jonathan India. Been a great surprise. When I saw this kid in middle of May, early May, there, were, there was buzz, and, I mean, he was going to be sent down to AAA. He wasn't doing well, wasn't getting a lot of playing time. All of a sudden, boom, put him in the leadoff spot. He's sitting right now third in the league and on-base percentage. Let's say Mike Moustakas comes back, and there's whispers that he is. Let's say Nick Senzel comes back. Now you've got a, a little log jam in this infield outfield. Who's the odd man out if these two guys come back? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. My gut instinct tells me that it might be Kyle Farmer. Uh, and, and, you know, he's hitting 235. he He's got a lot of clutch hits, and he's playing very good defense, not even adequate. He's playing better than average defense. So it's not essential that they, they find somebody else at shortstop, but I don't think the Reds are going to go get a rental for shortstop, which is what all the rumors have been, because Farmer has been sufficient. But with Senzel coming back, that gives them another option there. And so I think the odd man out could be, uh, it could be Farmer. It's not going to be Jonathan India. That kid's been a revelation for sure. And, you know, those of us who saw him play in college in the SEC against UK, that kid was great. And, And he is playing right now almost like he did in college, uh, because he had huge power when he was uh, at Florida. And that power seems to be coming along. That kid is really good. There is no chance they take him out of the lineup. I guess and, he- you know, the other option is, you know, you hate to say it, but Suarez is the one who's been so frustrating mm-hmm. for them. Yep. So, you know, India maybe moves back to third, Zell goes to second. Who knows what they might do? Or Mustakas goes to third. Uh, you know, I, I think as much as you hate it, that Suarez might be the guy who gets less playing time. 
I get these random texts on my phone every blue moon about uh, from somebody I don't know just talking crazy about the Reds. Says Luis Castillo ERA update with Joey Votto batting average updates. Are these guys are, are they flipped it around yeah, finally? Because Castillo has really turned it on the last eleven starts. Well, I, that crazy person you're talking about was me. Oh, and it was. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. And about you know, it, it was about two or three weeks ago. I said when the Reds were on a bit of a roll, um, I said that if Suarez, Castillo, and Votto could turn it around. And they were all trending in that direction, mm-hmm. whereas at you know at that point Castillo was still over six in his ERA, but trending very well, and Votto was in the two thirties, but starting to hit the ball, and Suarez was at a buck thirty five or a buck forty, whatever it was. My my suggestion was is that they could get castillo down below i think my number was around four four five or something like that and Votto get up to 270 to 275 and suarez only get to 205 let's say that the reds would have a real shot at the playoffs well as it turns out uh suarez is is better but doesn't i don't know if he's going to get to the 200 mark or not but Votto is at 266 he's hitting you know, 380 over the last 15 or 18 games. His OPS is over a thousand, and Castillo has been lights out. He's been the best pitcher in baseball, yep. not named Jacob Degrom, for the last you know half a season. Yep. He had 11 bad starts. Now he's had 11 great starts, and his ERA is approaching four. One more outing like he's had, and he'll be below four. So. I think that if they can continue these trends, especially um, with Votto and Castillo, and then either Senzel or Moustakas to take up the slack where uh, Suarez is not making it happen, they've got a real shot. Yeah, you hit your meatloaf on that one. You hit two out of three. I think uh, yeah, the Suarez <laughs> one were still out. The other two you hit out of the park. All right, last question for Alan Stein, our Reds expert here. Yes or no, Reds make the playoffs, either wild card or division? Well, they're not going to make the wild card, uh, just the way it's set up. Uh, the West with San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego all playing each other. You assume that they're going to you know, play kind of – nobody's going to dominate those three. So they're all three way ahead of the Reds in the wild card race. So I, I don't think that they're going to make that. Their best and almost only shot is to catch the Brewers, but I do believe that they can do that. They're six and a half back right now with a much better schedule coming up. They're playing well again. Uh, yeah, I, I like their chances. I definitely like my chances of hitting the over on the 81 and a half or whatever. We're going to wrestle that one to the end, it looks like, right now. But yeah, Alan Stein, <laughs> yeah. he's, keep hope alive. Alan Stein says the Reds still going to make the playoffs. Alan, we love you, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, joining okay, us this morning. Have a safe trip. You got it. All right, buddy. You Take bet. Care. Bye-bye. That's Alan Stein, uh, our Reds expert here at ESPN Radio. Coming up after the break, let's talk fantasy football with Farrell Elliott. That's next right here, ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5.
Bottom line with Brad Taylor, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. And our next guest, the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. You can find his stuff, kffsc.com. He's our good friend, Farrell Elliott. Farrell, how you doing this morning, my friend? Brother, I am fueled with coffee and ready to talk football. We got, uh, got quick hitters today. Quick hitters. Well, you told me last night via text, and like, well, I don't know if I can wake up that early tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we might have to start taping these a few days in advance when you're awake, Farrell. But hey, thanks for getting up at 945 on a Sunday morning for us. Hey, Cam Akers was a very early pick in fantasy football. Now he's done. Achilles injury out for the year. What do we do with the Rams running backs coming up in these drafts this season? You look at Daryl Henderson and you pick him. He is a bargain right now. As soon as the injury was announced in KFFSC draft, he started going into the fourth round. I think he'll go higher. Once players look at it, Brad, and determine that this is a very good football player. You know, the, these guys were drafted uh, Henderson the previous year in the third round, Akers the year after in the second round. Their combine numbers are very, very similar. Each of them has had different kind of injuries to keep them off the field. If you need to see numbers on it, look at Daryl Henderson last year, week four, over 100 yards rushing a touchdown at Buffalo, who at the time had a pretty stout run defense. My point is it's not this big a breakaway for Henderson. And people who are smart enough to handcuff Akers are smart enough to get Henderson in a double-digit round. Got a very talented player, have a steal, and can expect big things for him this year. The team needs depth. It's also going to help. If you if you do not buy into the fact that Henderson can deliver as a running back, you have to really appreciate that the new quarterback Stafford will be throwing to Cup, Woods, and especially Higby at an increased rate. Henderson, you said he's going fourth round in the drafts you've seen this week now? Middle of the fourth rounds, and he will go higher, especially when yeah. people can see him in the preseason and watch the way he runs because he is a good-looking ball yeah. player. The, uh, our friends out in the desert took uh, the Packers' win totals and things like that off the board the last couple of days because now there's a rumor Aaron Rodgers is retiring. And mm-hmm. if, when the desert says, hey, we're going to take him off because we hear this, uh, I'll follow people in the desert before I follow these talking heads. How is that going to affect fantasy football drafts, and how has it already affect, affected those drafts? You know, I, I think that's already built into where Rodgers is going in the draft. He's a very, very comfortable, low-buy, high-odds lottery pick. I think he'll return to football. It's just my personal opinion. The guys in Las Vegas, you know, Brad, they do not like risk that they cannot predict. And there's right. nothing predictable about this. So whether he plays or whether he doesn't play, I think they don't want to be involved in the risk, and I think that's what they're telling us there. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor along with Farrell Elliott, the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. You can find his information, KFFSC, if you want to be crowned Kentucky State Champion of Fantasy Football. My guy in New Orleans, Michael Thomas, uh, who I've been a big fan of because he puts up a lot of numbers, well, he's injured now. They're talking about he's not going to be able to uh, play opening day. Where is he falling in these drafts, and should he be falling further than he already is? Um, that's to be determined. I haven't seen enough draft boards to know. I would guess six, seven round at this point in time. You know, when we have an 11-week season to get to your divisional playoffs, a 13-week season to get to the main event playoffs at the KFFSC, What Thomas is telling us is he's at least going to be gone for half the season. 
And then when he comes back, he does so without benefit of a training camp and comes back after the bye week and a new quarterback. And all of a sudden, there's a whole lot of things to talk about with Michael Thomas. What does this do down at New Orleans? It makes Traquan Smith a much bigger draft pick, but he was almost a giveaway draft pick, 14th or 17th round. So Traquan Smith moves up in the draft. You can expect the, the head coach here who can game manage better than anyone else in the NFL to decide which receiver, which running back, who's going to catch passes on a given day and feed that ball to them, much like in the way that they did last year until we get Thomas back. And this situation might make Kamara at least the number two uh, player in fantasy football off the boards. And in some cases, some people may want him number one. So you think this injury puts Kamara back up to number two, maybe even number one, this injury itself just in the first half of the league. That's that's very interesting. But uh, Jameis Winston, is he he going early as a quarterback one, maybe at the back end of a quarterback one of these drafts? He's not going at all. Really? Jameis Winston. Okay. Jameis Winston is not going at all. There's too many other. There's too many other picks that have a have a job. And even when Jameis wins the job, which is what I predict, mm-hmm. there's the wild card of the fact that Taysom Hill comes in in the red zone and takes snaps away. Jameis Winston will be an excellent waiver wire pickup after he goes out and has a big big game some week. And then who knows what you're going to get the next week. And the more talent you take away from that team the more unpredictable they get because the coach uh, asserts himself in the situation and makes the decision. So it's a, it's a fascinating situation to watch. From fantasy standpoint, it's, it's a great situation to be in business with the New Orleans players. From a team standpoint, they take a shot without Thomas. Saquon Barkley, uh, he's going early in these drafts. He's going first round that I see. Coming off of an injury, though, he's kind of like a little lower level than uh, Christian McCaffrey, who's going first, but only played three games last week, last year. Saquon Barkley, should we be able to trust him in these drafts? Because he's going way earlier than I thought he would before this all started. Way earlier than to the middle of the first round, now to the end of the first round. We'll see him in the second round now. And, you know, with the uh, going on the PUP list, as Barkley did, he's eligible to return any time in the preseason. If he doesn't get back on the field during the preseason, he'll, he, like Thomas, will have to spend six games on the injured reserve and being uh, unavailable. At this point of the draft, you have so many good players around, Brad. Why take that risk? You can be just like those boys in Las Vegas out there in the desert. You don't like risk in your fantasy football, and you don't have to afford it by taking Barkley in the first, early, second round. He's Farrell Elliott. He is the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. Farrell, we thank you so much for giving us some time this morning. Tell us where we can get in contact with you and where we can be crowned the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Champion. You know, it's important for the listeners to know they can come in and sit down with great fantasy football players from across the country, including including one Brad Taylor, who would have to be a thrill to compete with the man that you listen to every Sunday morning. But, yes, call me. The phone line is always open, 502-523-5057. A $300 buy-in gets you started live in Cincinnati, online throughout the month of August, and then our grand event at uh, Caesars Southern Indiana, August 27th through the 29th. We'd love to have you in the room. It'll be the most fun you ever have playing fantasy football and make the 2021 NFL season one to really remember. 
Farrell, we're trying to get people to uh, join you instead of uh, running them away by telling them they'll be with Brad Taylor. I don't know what you're saying. Being with Brad Taylor is a blast, and only Brad Taylor is the only guy who doesn't enjoy it. Everybody else really, really enjoys it, man. Uh, and I look, I look forward to it happening more often. We, we've got to get you off the air before lightning hits you and destroys our board here. <laughs> Farrell, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next week, buddy. Thank you, buddy. All right, bud. That's Farrell Elliott, KFFSC. He's as good as it gets. Uh, make sure to sign up if you want to play fantasy football this year. Uh, that's it for us. We're running late. Thanks for joining us. Uh, email anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. And uh, until the next time, as always, may the winners be yours.